what I find to be one of the most interesting and shocking statements in the creation account can be read in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25. Following the creation, man and woman were created, were there in the garden together. And in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, the scripture reads, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Here at the beginning of time, the world and man are in perfectness. And there they were, unclothed, naked, and unashamed. What an amazing statement. And yet, regrettably, we find in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, that everything changed. In Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. When sin came into the world, things changed. And while I do not fully know and understand or comprehend all of the metamorphosis through which Adam and Eve went, the first recorded change that we note is that their eyes were opened and they understood something that they did not know before. They were unclothed. And when they had that recognition, shame came upon them. And they clothed themselves with fig leaves, making loin coverings or girdles. However, as God came into the garden, they hid themselves from them because of their shame and because of their fear. And of course, we know the story as God cursed the man and the woman and the serpent. But then we find that as God looked at Adam and Eve, He said to them that fig leaves are not enough. Because in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Brethren, as we consider this story, we actually find the first three-point sermon on modesty all the way at the very beginning of time with Adam and Eve. And as we consider this story, I would just like to share with you three things that we need to consider when it comes to our clothing and our dress. The very first thing that we learn from the story of Adam and Eve is that we need to have shame. As we read in Genesis 2 and verse 25, before sin came into the world, they were unashamed. But when sin entered, shame followed. That feeling of embarrassment, that feeling of guilt, when someone's heart or flesh is laid bare for others to see, they felt shame. So much shame that they didn't have to wait for God to come into the garden to tell them, you need to clothe yourselves. They tried to do something about it immediately on their own. We need to have this sense of shame. Just like Adam and Eve, we're full of sin. Our eyes ought to be opened. And we ought to be able to tell when we are inappropriately exposing ourselves. When we are showing flesh that ought not be shown, we ought to have shame, guilt, and embarrassment that drives us to cover ourselves. And yet, regrettably, 
today far too many Christians have been dumbed down and demoralized and desensitized by the extreme immodesties of our world that sometimes we aren't aware of our own immodesty and therefore we do not have the shame that we ought to have. Having said that though, I am amazed at the inconsistency with which people today are ashamed about exposing themselves. If you and I were to accidentally walk in on someone that was there getting dressed and they were still in their underclothes, they would be ashamed and embarrassed. And yet far too many of these same people will prance about on beaches and beside pools and while cutting their grass in bathing suits that display far more flesh. Inconsistent shame. If we were to accidentally walk in on somebody who had just stepped out of the shower and wrapped themselves with a towel, we'd meet somebody very embarrassed and very ashamed, and yet many women we can find in the malls wearing skirts that don't come much lower than the wraparound towel, unashamed and unembarrassed, and regrettably, we even find ladies coming into the church with those same kind of skirts. Now, gratefully, most of them here will go ahead and cover up with a sweater, but why not make it easier for yourself and come already covered? We need to have shame. We need to have the guilt and the embarrassment that will drive us to clothe ourselves and cover ourselves. Interestingly, as we look at Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, we recognize that shame entered, as we said, when sin entered the world. And so we ought not be surprised that within our world, as it becomes increasingly harder to call sin, sin, that shame is leaving our society. And regrettably, it's even leaving too many brethren. We need to have shame, guilt, and embarrassment. I don't care what the modern pop psychologists say. We ought to be ashamed of our nakedness being exposed before others. I heard of one preacher pointing out, you know, we don't know what that fruit was that Adam and Eve ate, but I sure wish we could figure it out so we could give it to some of the folks today so they'll realize they're naked. Do we need to eat some of this fruit so that we can be ashamed? The second thing we learn as we consider what happened here in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, what we learn, we need to be ashamed, and we also learn that clothing is for covering. When you look in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7, when Adam and Eve went and got those fig leaves and stitched them together as lawn coverings, what were they doing? They were covering. They were trying to hide that about which they were ashamed. When God said, that's not enough, and in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, make garments and clothe them, what was he doing? He was covering them. He was hiding their flesh. And that is what clothing is all about. And we need to keep that in mind as we're at the store, as we're buying our clothes. This is about covering, not about revealing. This is about hiding, not about displaying. And we need to keep that in our minds. In reality, that's what Peter was pointing out to us in 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 2, 
He talked about husbands observing their wives' chaste and respectful behavior. He went on to point out that your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. Peter's point, and I understand he was here talking to wives, but the point applies to all, that as we are dressing, we are not about calling attention to ourselves and our wealth and our prestige and our sexuality. Rather, we are wanting to display those character traits that are hidden with inside us, our purity, our chastity, our godliness. We need to be hiding our flesh and displaying our spirit with the clothes that we wear. That's what clothes are for. I'd like you to consider this very interesting quote. As one person hit the nail on the head saying, Luxurious clothing that cannot conceal the shape of the body is no covering at all. Such clothing clinging close to the body takes the body's shape and adheres to the flesh. It outlines the woman's figure so that the whole shape of her body is visible to spectators even though they cannot actually see the body itself. Such clothing is meant for looking, not for covering. This statement was made nearly 1,800 years ago and yet still applies even today in the year 2004. How many clothes are purchased today not for the purpose of revealing and for concealing and for covering and hiding, but for showing, for displaying, to attract attention to our bodies? Displaying the flesh seems to be the norm today, as form-fitting, tight clothing is worn by all. As men cut their grass with their shirts off and in skimpy shorts. As women walk through the store in short skirts, low-cut blouses, and tight-fitting clothes. What are those clothes about, brethren? They're not about covering and concealing. They're about revealing and showing. But that wasn't God's intention when He invented clothes. God's intention was covering and hiding. And that needs to be our intention when we're dressing. The third lesson that we learn from Adam and Eve is that we must use God's standard for clothing. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7, Adam and Eve made for themselves loin coverings out of fig leaves. Your translation may say girdle. They were covering the loins, the waists, God stepped in and provided them with so much more. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, when it says He made garments, or your translation may say coat or robe, it's the same term that's used to describe Joseph's coat of many colors, or to describe the tunics that the priests wore that covered themselves. God provided them with something far more than they provided themselves. And what do we learn from that? We learn that our standards are not the standard. The world's standard is not the standard. God's standard is our standard for dress. And when we find ourselves at Walmart or Dillard's or Sears or JCPenney or The Gap or some other such place, we need to keep in mind that these clothes need to measure up not to our standards, not to the world's standards, but to God's standards. 
And so we might ask, what are God's standards? I have to tell you, I wish I could take you to a verse in the Bible that displays an inch that says, all right, it's got to come six inches below the knee. I wish I could find that. But despite the attempts made today to find some Bible verse that gives God's measurement in inches, I can't find that. But I tell you what I do find. That God's standards are not measured in inches, but are measured in intentions and in attitudes. What are, what are our intentions when we dress? We've already read 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's read it again. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, we find God's standard. He says, Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, Paul speaks very similarly as he says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. What is my intention? What am I trying to display? What do I intend to show others when I dress? Do I intend to show them my wealth, my power, my fame, my sexuality? Or do I intend to show them my godliness, my purity, my discretion? What is it that people can see when they look at you in the clothing that you wear? Some will say, oh, I dress like this because it's the fashion. I don't intend to display those bad things. My question for you is, do you intend not to display those negative things? Do you intend to display the positive, godliness, purity, chastity, discretion, modesty? Secondly, we can find God's standards in passages like Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19... Paul says in Galatians 5 and verse 19, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3, Peter says, For the time already passed, in 1 Peter 4 and verse 3, For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, and on he continues. The works of the flesh are immorality, impurity, sensuality. We've already spent enough time, he says, in sensuality and lust when we were in the world. These things should not be named among us. That term sensuality, your translation may have said lasciviousness. It may have said licentiousness. It may have said lewdness. They all have the same concept. The term there means indicating, expressing, or arousing sexual desire and lust. And Paul says that should not be named among us. Peter says we spent enough time doing that when we were in the world. We're Christians now and we ought to be different no longer involved in sensuality, in lasciviousness, in licentiousness, in lewdness. He says, put that away from you. What is your intention when you dress? 
I'm just going to point out, sisters, while I believe that these issues of modesty apply to both genders, let's face it, you and I both know that we men have the greater problem with looking and that you sisters are the ones that really need to be concerned about dress. And ladies, let me assure you, you may never fully understand how we men think and see. But I want you to understand, and you need to listen to me as a man who knows how I think and how I see, and who will admit it to you while your husbands won't. But those clothes that are on the hangers at the stores, those short skirts above the knee, those low-cut shirts that expose part of your breasts, those shirts that you wear that form around your breasts and fit tightly around your midsection, those shirts that you wear that ride up with those low-riding jeans that show part of your stomach and your back, those tight-fitting skirts that have the slits coming up to the thigh, those were created for one reason alone to indicate and express or arouse sexual desire and lust. That's what it's for. You may say, well, I didn't intend to do that. The question is, did you intend not to do that? Because if you intend not to do that, you'll get rid of those clothes that express sensuality and lasciviousness and licentiousness. And you will intend to dress modestly in a way that indicates and expresses purity and chastity and discretion. And allow me to say as a side note here, as we look at 1 Peter chapter 4, we continue on reading in verse 4, In all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. One of the increasingly popular and yet unbiblical definitions for modesty is that we dress in a way that does not attract attention to ourselves. As a modicum of truth, but is not the definition of modesty, brethren. And that definition is then turned around and extrapolated and we're told that so if you find yourself on a California beach where the norm is to wear thong bikinis, oh, a Christian being modest would wear one so that they wouldn't attract attention to themselves. First of all, a Christian shouldn't find themselves in a place full of lasciviousness and immorality and immodesty like that. Secondly, the definition of modesty is not don't attract attention to yourself. The definition of modesty is make sure you attract attention to yourself for the right reasons. First Peter 4 and verse 4 says we will attract attention to ourselves. Those in the world will be surprised at us. They'll be shocked and they'll malign us and they'll talk about us. We will stand out. But for what will we stand out? Will we stand out for godliness and purity and discretion and modesty? Will we attract attention to ourselves as people see our good works with claims that befit godliness? Or will they see us blend in with immodesty and impurity and immorality? The third thing that we recognize regarding God's standards can be found in passages like Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 6. 
In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 6, the Bible reads, this is Jesus speaking, saying, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling blocks come. And Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 1, Paul says this to us. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. What is our intention with our dress? We see the contrast here. Some help build up and edify for a neighbor's good. Some are just trying to please themselves and instead cast stumbling blocks before others. When we dress in a way that indicates and expresses and arouses sexual desire and lust, we are casting a stumbling block. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28, In Matthew 5 and verse 28, Jesus said, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Lust is a sin. And when we are dressing in a way that arouses that desire and that lust, we are casting a stumbling block and Jesus says, Where are you? But no doubt some of us will say, Well, wait a minute. That person needs to control their thoughts. That guy needs to control his mind. I agree, absolutely. There's not a single one of us that can say, well, did you see the way they were dressed? I couldn't help myself. Not allowed to say that. But when we're dressing, we need to keep in mind that we've got two options here. We can either intend to build up or we're intending to tear down. And when we dress in a way that exploits the weaknesses of the weak, We're casting stumbling blocks. And Jesus says, woe to you. Someone will say, well, I didn't intend to cast the stumbling block. My question is, did you intend not to? Cover yourself. And dress in a way that builds up and edifies. And ladies, again, I'm going to say to you, we men struggle. And I'll tell you what, we ought to be able to at least come here and find women clothed so that we can be built up and edified instead of having stumbling blocks. And as a preacher, instead of being able to look across the auditorium, have to look like this. It happens. We need to follow God's standards for clothing. And we need to dress modestly. Brethren, I'll tell you, when it comes to this issue, I know folks today think we're backwoods. That's old stuff. They used to talk about that in the early 1900s. And, of course, we'll hear all kinds of things about what kind of standards do you think we ought to have? I just told you. We ought to intend to be pure and demonstrate that. When you're buying your clothes, when you're putting them on, But regrettably, at times, it seems like we're losing this battle. In the world, it's already lost. But in churches in general where I've been, it seems like the battle is being lost everywhere. 
But we need to stand up and we need to be different. And we need to continue to fight this battle. Because what makes me more sad than losing a battle in the world is how many Christians I've seen are losing this battle. And how many churches. And let's just make something very practical here. Have you ever read Titus chapter 2? In Titus chapter 2, Paul talked to Titus about the ones he needed to teach and what he needed to tell them. And in Titus chapter 2, he tells Titus what he ought to say to the older men, what he ought to say to the older women, and what he ought to say to the younger men. But very interestingly, within this passage, he doesn't tell Titus to tell anything to the younger women. I think there's a reason for that. I think Paul realized how dangerous it was to send Titus, a young preacher, out talking to young women. But i tell you what he did tell him. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 3, he said, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor slave to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Ladies, I'm looking to you to win this battle. Because I can't win it. How on earth can I go to the younger women and talk to them about the way they're dressed? Can you imagine what that would look like and what that would say? But God has given this role to you to win this battle. To talk to folks about the way they're dressing. And to help them dress with purity and modesty and chastity. We can still win this fight. We just have to realize that it's still a fight. And let's make sure that in our lives, everyone here today is taking up the battle and is dressing with modesty, covering, clothing, concealing, displaying godliness and purity.